scripture reading today. Our gospel text, well, if I can find it, there we go. Our gospel text from John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, where Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Matt. You guys talked for too long during past the peace, so I really have to hurry this morning. It's good to see you all. My name's Austin, if I haven't had a chance to meet you. Uh, our collect this morning, the, the prayer that kind of sums up all of the prayers for this, which is Good Shepherd Sunday, known as Good Shepherd Sunday on the Christian calendar, is this. O God, whose son Jesus is the good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. I was sitting at home one evening after putting the boys to bed. Um, I was going to add something about how I was, you know, studying the scriptures or reading, but I was probably watching sports on television on the couch when I heard a scream that made my skin crawl. I immediately thought that it was our three-year-old in some sort of crisis in his bed upstairs. thought he was in danger, so I instinctively being the good father that I am, jumped up from the couch. But after the shock had worn off with the sound of the scream, uh, I realized that it was coming not from inside the house, but from outside the house. We have a knack, I'll just mention this, for uh, finding neighborhoods full of cats (laughs) that roam. Some of you can see where this is going. And I realized that the sound I heard was not my son awaking from a night terror, but rather a neighborhood cat, which um, was experiencing, I guess, a different kind of terror. In a 2020 article from the website catster.com, entitled Cat Screaming, What It Sounds Like and What It Means, Kansas City-based writer and feline enthusiast Angela Lutz describes the scream of a cat in the following poetic terms. For those who have heard a cat scream, she says, the sound is unforgettable. A piercing, 
multisyllabic yowl that shocks the senses and demands your undivided attention. And most importantly, she continues, cat screaming can scare the crap out of humans and other cats alike, <laughs> which is often but not always exactly what the screaming cat intended, she says. I got sucked into this article. <clears throat> Although a bit further down, I, I do take issue with one statement that she makes. She says, cat screaming is instantly and utterly distinctive. There's no mistaking this sound for anything other than what it is. Now, on that particular night, I mistook this, the sound of this screaming cat for something else entirely. Perhaps this is because I've never owned a cat, although they often saunter around our yard like they are staking some sort of claim on me. Instead, the cat scream sounded to my parental ears like the sound of a frightened child, of our three-year-old. It really got me. Perhaps you can think of other sounds that are unmistakable. Not all of them have to be unpleasant, although the, the memorable sounds, for me at least, are typically, uh, the ones that come quickest to mind at least, are for some reason unpleasant. I'm thinking, you know, fingernails on the chalkboard, that kind of thing. But they don't have to be unpleasant. As a positive example, perhaps we begin this morning by considering uh, the voice of a loved one. Maybe you can recall the voice of a relative, uh, a voice you recall from childhood, or an influential voice in your life of someone who has long since died. As we begin this morning with this passage that we read a moment ago from John 10, echoing in our ears, this image of the sheep following the shepherd because they know his voice, I'd invite each of you to, to take a moment to imagine with me the voice of someone in your life who has either played or maybe is playing a pivotal role in your discipleship journey. Perhaps it's the voice of a grandparent, or a parent, or a pastor, or a Sunday school teacher. I'm grateful, by the way, that, that each of our services includes time to read the scripture aloud. That scripture reading is not just a time of filler. Biblical scholars are careful, careful to remind us that in the settings of their composition and delivery, and for centuries afterwards, the scriptures were primarily delivered uh, by being read aloud. And that really changes their, their shape, the shape of their delivery and their reception when we hear them spoken aloud, not just reading silently, which is a relatively modern way of, of doing things. Inherent in the public reading of scripture is the notion that we all rely on one another with the Spirit's help to make sense of God's voice. In fact, we mediate God's voice to one another. We're reliant not only on God to speak, but also uh, upon others to speak and deliver God's words to us, to our ears, whether through his written word or through prophecy. And one of the things that I love about teaching in the two- and three-year-old class uh, occasionally, twice every couple of months, is that their first introduction to the scriptures involves the voice of others by necessity. Uh, my three-year-old cannot yet read, and so he has to be read too. And based on my experience as a kid growing up in church and as a teacher now, I think the voice doing the reading is probably leaving a more indelible impression than the content of what's being read. Would you agree? 
on the screen are pictures of a couple of people from my past whose voices I can remember. <clears throat> Winnie Dolphin and Mike Rogers. Uh, Winnie died nearly 11 years ago and Mike died of cancer in 2019 at the age of 52. I can remember uh, Winnie's voice because she's in one of my earliest memories in the nursery the church I grew up in. I can remember the sound of Mike's voice both because it was unmistakable and because I spent most of my uh, preteen and teen years in the Sunday school class that he taught week after week. So whose voice has come to your mind? In today's gospel text that we read a moment ago, Jesus draws upon another kind of auditory interaction, uh, not between a, a flustered dad and an equally flustered cat, but between a shepherd and sheep. Jesus uses this metaphor to make a point about the relationship between a leader and those she leads. This text also happens to be the foundation for the prayer practice of listening to God that we've been considering over the past two weeks on Wednesday evenings in practicing the way. So let's read this portion again from John 10. Uh, we'll read verses 2 through 5. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. The shepherd calls his own sheep by name, leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. It's worth noting the context of these statements in the Gospels. Jesus has just healed a blind man in John 9, and he's addressing a group of religious leaders about their own forms of spiritual blindness. After, healing, after this healing and a discussion about its significance, Jesus says to the Pharisees who are present, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? And it's at this point that Jesus commences the shepherding metaphor, which perhaps unsurprisingly given their question in verse 40, the Pharisees don't interpret rightly. Their own blindness causes them to miss the significance of his words. But the source of their confusion is probably not the, the metaphor itself, the content of the metaphor. Of course, shepherding, uh, besides being a well-known occupation in the, the first century, was often an, a, a metaphor used in the Old Testament for leadership. A shepherd is a powerful king who can defend the sheep. Or a, a shepherd is a wise ruler who knows what the sheep need. A lengthy passage in Ezekiel 34, which we'll consider in just a moment, uses the metaphor in exactly this way. So the Pharisees aren't, aren't confused by the metaphor itself. Uh, of course, uh, they would have agreed with Jesus that, that bad shepherds are indeed bad. What they're confused about is who the metaphor's reference are. They would have picked up on how Jesus' metaphor is an allusion to the same language used by the prophet in Ezekiel. They knew that. So when Jesus says, I'm sorry, when John says in verse six, 6, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was saying to them, he's saying the Pharisees failed to consider how they themselves might be thieves, bandits, and strangers in John 10. As a brief aside, don't worry, uh, you and I are clearly not the Pharisees here. We're not the blind ones. 
Uh, we don't have to worry about being confused for thieves and bandits uh, because that's just the Pharisees, certainly not us. We're not blind. Surely we're not blind, are we? Let's take a look at Ezekiel's prophetic critique of the shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me, he said, Woe, you shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? The bad shepherds are those who put their own needs and appetites above those of the sheep. What does a good shepherd do? Well, further down, Ezekiel prophesies, For thus says the Lord God, I will search for my sheep and will sort them out. I'll rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I'll bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the water courses and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I'll feed them with good pasture. I'll be the shepherd of my sheep. I'll make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. There's a clear contrast here that we can see between shepherding styles. We see an example of how this plays out in today's New Testament reading, which comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. The risk of giving us whiplash, I'm going to move to the New Testament now. In this text, Luke provides a clear picture of the rhythms of life among the earliest believers. And I want to invite us to consider this description of life among the early believers with the shepherd imagery from Ezekiel 34 and also in John 10. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. This is a picture of a community that is itself well-shepherded. They're staying together. The injured among them are being bound up. They're resting in the lush pasture of healthy relationships. They're dwelling together in safety. They're being provided for, and in turn, they're providing for one another. Not only is this community well-shepherded, but they're also shepherding each other. Luke paints a picture of the church itself as a shepherding community. The church, of course, can never take the place of the good shepherd, but the church can imitate the good shepherd and should imitate the good shepherd in its treatment of others, its hospitality, in its generosity, in its nourishing of each other, both literally and metaphorically. Conversely, we would do well to consider Jesus' challenge to the Pharisees as a word of warning directed to us today. I alluded to this earlier in kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek way, but let me state it plainly. We may indeed be blind to the ways that we have shepherded unfaithfully. The counterexample to this picture in Acts chapter 2 comes a few chapters later in Acts chapter 6, when the widows among the early believers are being overlooked in the serving of food. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, we read, Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. 
And given what we've looked at thus far, we might say that shepherding well or poorly hinges on how well we can imitate the good shepherd in nourishing one another. There's a common theme running through all of these texts that we've looked at this morning of food, of nourishment, provision. Perhaps you've noticed the abundance of images related to food in these texts, from the starving sheep in Ezekiel 34 to the lush pasture offered to the sheep in John chapter 10, to the shared table in Acts chapter 2, and the inequities in food distribution in Acts chapter 6. Lots about food. These texts indicate that the shepherding community, in imitation of the good shepherd, is tasked with nourishing and providing for others. So how how can we offer this kind of nourishment to each other? Well, there are a variety of ways. But I think we would probably could do worse than, than eating together, which we do on a regular basis here as part of this community, and I hope have opportunity to do outside of our regular common meals in one another's homes. We'd eat together. Also, though, recall earlier when we considered some voices that have helped us along our discipleship journeys. Have those voices in mind. Uh, We're identifying voices that in one way or another helped to make the voice of the Good Shepherd recognizable to us. They're helping us to acquire a taste for the bread of life. They're helping to to whet our appetite for the bread that satisfies. I don't know about you, but, but I'm struck by the responsibility that this entails. Our words have such weight, not only because they affect others' self-conceptions, but also because through our words, we're attuning each other's ears to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. And we can do that well, or we can do that poorly. As I'd like to explore just an example of this. Um, Kara, I'd, I'd invite you up at this point. How can we become the voices that make the voice of the Good Shepherd recognizable? Part of our purpose at Solid Rock is to care about one another's journey, which means that our understanding of and approach to our own discipleship journeys are bound up with others' discipleship. We share what we hear. And I've invited Kara to share an example of this uh, from recently. So I've been participating in Practicing the Way. And the first week, we talked about the theme was talking to God. And it focused on written prayers or like memorized prayers, so the Lord's Prayer. And I discovered there are many others of those. Um, That hasn't been a big part of my church tradition before coming here. And so I... um, started, uh, you know, they kind of say, like, experiment with this this week. And so I started doing those prayers in the morning, like I'd get to work, and I'd read a couple of prayers. And it really took a lot of the pressure off because, like, I don't have to feel super spiritual to, like, get it done. Like, the prayer starts and the prayer ends, and sometimes it felt cool, and sometimes it just happened, you know. And then the next session, we were all reflecting on what we'd experienced together, and this metaphor came to mind, so I shared with my new friends that it's kind of like, um, I don't know if you've had this experience, in the springtime, your house has been closed up all all winter long, and you open the windows, and you like feel the breeze, you know, when you're sitting on your couch, 
you're probably reading books, I'm watching Netflix, and <laughs> it just feels so nice, right? Like it's cool and sweet. And it's almost, for me, I just had the thought, it's like when I pray in the morning, it's like I'm opening all the windows in my house. And maybe I feel the breeze right when I open the windows, or maybe I don't. Maybe I feel that breeze, it's like God's voice later on in the day. Um, maybe some days are really still, and even though I opened all the windows, I didn't experience anything. But certainly when I don't open the windows, there's like breeze out there, but I'm not experiencing it because I don't have, I didn't set myself up with an environment to have that experience. And so I shared this with a couple people, and then the next week, somebody else referenced it and said, yeah, I've been thinking about that, and it's been really helpful, which is kind of like a double blessing, you know, because if I hear something from God, and you hear something from God, and we tell each other, now we've heard two things, <laughs> and I want to hear all the things, and, um, and I want to help you hear the things too, you know. Uh, Josh and I actually this morning, when this I don't think was planned, but we'll be um, doing the prayer this morning. And I just also want to say, you know, coming up and getting prayer, I think it takes a lot of courage and we're in the front, which is kind of private when everybody leaves, but, you know, like people will see you. Um, but then uh, I came up and got prayer a few weeks ago from my new friends, Claire and Nathan, and I kind of just told them what I needed prayer about. And then they did all the hard work of opening the windows in my house, <laughs> and it was really nice. So I think that kind of community is really helpful. Thanks, Kira. Wow. Man, that image has stuck with me. Um, since I heard it a couple days ago. I'm not in the Women's Practicing the Way group, um, but I heard it through the grapevine. You can do the math there on who I may have heard that from. So conversely, uh, how might our voices drown out the voice of the Good Shepherd? Uh, I'm going to have a harder time sharing with others what I don't experience on a regular basis if I'm not open to receiving nourishment from Christ and his body, the church. The scriptures we've considered this morning point us to two potential outcomes. Uh, either I'm going to starve, <laughs> or I'll try to acquire nourishment elsewhere on my own and for myself uh, from less healthy sources. And we'll come to the table in a moment, and I think it's telling that Paul's instruction in 1 Corinthians 11 regarding the institution of the Lord's Supper begins with the words, For I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you. Before that, in 1 Corinthians 11, he confronts the Corinthian church with words that sound very much like the description of the bad shepherds in Ezekiel that we looked at earlier. He says, now in the following instructions, I do not commend you. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you proceeds to eat your own supper. And one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. See the resonance there? I know you have to because they're both up on the screen. Church historian and theologian Justo Gonzalez cites a number of early texts about the practice of communion among early believers and offers the following conclusion. He says, The center of receiving communion is not that the individual is fed, but rather that the community as a whole is nourished. We might then situate communion within the metaphor that Jesus prevent, pre presents in John chapter 10. We are the sheep passing through the gate of nourishment into the pasture to receive 
nourishment, but we are also the gatekeepers opening the way toward that nourishment for our children, for those in our spheres of influence, for our neighbors, for those who are in this room, and for those who are not in this room. We are imitating the Good Shepherd in our speech to each other so that his voice might become recognizable in the lives of others. So it is with that challenge that I'd like to invite us all to the table this morning to receive from the Lord that which he has passed on to his disciples and that has been faithfully passed on to us. And there have been gatekeepers through the centuries that have continually opened that gate so that we might receive the nourishment that he has intended for us and so that we might pass it along one to another and to our family members and to our neighbors. So would you stand with me as we prepare to approach the table? And as we do each week, we'll make two lines here down these center aisles. And as you come forward to receive the elements, you'll hear the words spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, and the blood of Christ shed for you. As Kara mentioned a couple of moments ago, she and Josh will be here uh, stationed at the front by the candles. Uh, and then uh, Matt or I will be available for prayer in the back as well after we receive. So as we prepare to approach the table, let's pray together. O God, whose Son Jesus is the Good Shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads. Lord, we pray this morning that through our speech, through our actions, we would be faithful gatekeepers, faithful shepherds who imitate you and leading others toward the nourishment that only you can offer by looking to the needs of others before we look to our own needs, by sharing what we have, by giving up ourselves so that others might receive from you. And when we do receive from you, Lord, we ask that you would give us the courage and strength not to hold that closely with tight fists, but to offer it up to one another for the nourishment of your body and all of the mystery that that entails. We thank you for the gift of one another. We thank you for the gift of uh, kind and uplifting words. We thank you for the gift of prophecy with which you have gifted the church for its edification. Give us listening ears, attentive hearts. Open up our blind eyes. Lord, and wet our appetites for the, the bread that satisfies. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you join us at the table?